The emotional connection people have with music can blossom into a thrill ride and become the great true love in their life. It can take them down wild paths and mark pivotal moments. But for some, when listening to the music just isn't enough, and a deeper bond must be drawn, the outcomes can be anywhere from action-packed and expansive to dramatic and downright scary. Some people's passion for the music may lead them to deplete their life savings assembling collections in order to bring them closer to its makers. Others' fanaticism makes them choose it as their vocation, in a drastic attempt to become immersed in it. I myself am guilty of being from both camps. Even though I play music for a living, I am the first to admit, no matter how big the stage, no matter how high on the bill we are slotted, no matter the bands we are playing with, it's always, always done through the eyes of a music fanatic. I will be forever in awe and only suspend disbelief long enough to play our songs lest I forget the lyrics or, God forbid, the song itself. I often wonder, if I was never charmed by the magic of music, what would I have done? I don't have an answer. I never found an immediate elixir to fend off its pull. There is no second interest for me. Makes me boring, but it keeps me focused. Focused on the bands, on the music, on the culture of fandom. As much as I love the music I love, the bands I love, I also enjoy watching someone else's fandom for a band. Sometimes it's so infectious, I become a convert. Past the music we make and the shows we get to play, one of the perks of being in a band is the constant access I get to like-minded people, fans, fanatics of music that felt so compelled to journey out of their safe zone just to be near to the music. It's with these people where I'm at my most comfortable, talking shop, and more importantly, getting turned on to new bands. A lot of the times, these powwows often happen in, in dressing rooms, dining rooms, lunch halls, buses, vans, anywhere bands congregate. It can spark a heated discussion or trigger online searches. I have a short list of bands that can initiate these kinds of discussions, and when I meet another person in a band with a shared zeal, it's game over. I have never met a bigger Van Halen fan than Danny Young, drummer of the legendary rock band Glucifer. It was on May 1st, 2004, when Danny and I discovered we had a mutual love for the Pasadena Quartet when our band opened for Glucifer in Bergen, Norway, during the Bergen City Festival and the taping of Glucifer's DVD, Royally Stuffed. While everyone was getting ready for their respective sets backstage, I remember Danny and I hunched over talking about Van Halen nonstop. Glucifer were the raging quintet from Oslo, Norway, who played a pivotal role in the Scandinavian rock revival of the mid to late 90s. Their albums like Tender's The Savage from 2000, Basement Apes from 2002, and Automatic Thrill from 2004 are unmistakable rock and roll classics that easily earned them the title of Kings of Rock. Their Respect the Rock 10-inch split with the helicopters in 1997 on White Jazz Records was a volcanic salvo that raised the ante and signaled a tectonic shift in the underground music scene, and they also had the coolest band name in rock and roll. I remember walking into Rotate This in Toronto and staring straight at their Gary O'Kane 10-inch on Man's Ruin and thinking to myself, this rock and roll thing we were doing here in We Old Toronto was merely part of a seismic vibration that was starting to stretch out ocean-wide. 
When I finally saw them in April of 2000 in Vancouver, they did not disappoint. They were exactly what I had hoped, and then a year later, singer Biff Malibu was introducing us in Oslo for the Oya Festival. Broken up since 2005, the band's legendary status remains pristine and uncontested. Like many bands that break up, their acclaim has only grown since the split, something a band like Van Halen would be very envious of. And that is the main reason why I asked Danny to join me on the podcast. After Van Halen-themed podcasts with certified experts like Ian Christie, author of Everybody Wants Some, Greg Renoff, author of Van Halen Rising, and of course Mitch Malloy, brief singer with the band in 1996, the viewpoint I needed to round out this series was that of the Van Halen fan. But not just any Van Halen fan, a Van Halen fan with the background and first-hand experience of being in a successful band themselves. It's this background that can temper fervor and provide understanding when fandom can sometimes elicit passionate, yet uninformed opinions. I asked Danny who his favorite band was, Glucifer or Van Halen. Without hesitation, he answered Van Halen, and I knew that second I had the right man for this podcast. I don't think I'd be able to give a similar answer if I asked the same type if I was asked the same type of question. In the music biz, most wouldn't. They're too self-obsessed. Danny, on the other hand, is obsessed with Van Halen. Here's some proof. The time Danny wrote into the David Lee Roth morning show back in 2006 and DLR read his letter over the air. This is huge knowing how big a fan of Van Halen Danny is. So, check it out. Norway, Danny from Norway. Hey guys, have a great weekend, and the show is getting better. Okay, you deserve a nice big party. Congrats. I'll have a drink for you. Uh, it's Friday. Yeah. It's Friday around the world, huh? It doesn't get any better than that. I'd like to thank Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones for their continued support of the podcast. I want to give a shout out to Pete Kelly out at Skull Candy Headphones. Thanks a lot, Pete. Thank you very much, man. I want to give a shout out to Chino Locos Restaurants because when I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. And thank you for listening to the podcast in any way you can. iTunes, SoundCloud, on your phone, or on any other linked platform. This podcast is free to download, free to subscribe. I'm not going to push anything on you. I'm just happy you found the podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Because Danny Young of Glucifer, of Smoke Mohawk, and drummer of Bella B from D'Erce's band is on the podcast, Danny Rules, and he even made a podcast bumper. Check it out after the theme, because it starts now. The Daniel Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Daniel's co-op download for free. I'm Zach Lennon, I do sometimes. Get me in from fucked up. Stop playing hang down, down. Daniel Jones podcast with a finger on the pulse of what's going on culturally in the world. Wait a second. That's not his finger. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. Hey, Danny. Hey, Danko. 
good to hear your voice, man. Likewise, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I'm so glad to have you on because when I started doing these Van Halen podcasts, you were the one person I was thinking about um, in the back of my head when I was talking to Ian, when I was talking to Mitch, when I was talking to Greg. In the back of my mind, I was actually kind of wondering, like, would Danny approve? Is this something you would eat up? Um, <laughs> you know, because you are the biggest Van Halen fan I have ever met that I know. I thought I was a big fan. And then I, I don't know where it was that years ago, the two of us had a powwow and we both realized we loved Van Halen. But you love Van Halen a little more than I do, man. I'm ready to get down on one knee and give you a diamond ring here, Danko. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's, you know, well, I gotta say thank you. I didn't know that was possible, but yeah, great. Yeah, I, I am a, I'm a, you know, sometimes disturbingly hardcore Van Halen fan. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I mean, anytime I'm, I talk to someone, they go, oh, I love Van Halen. Oh, yeah, you love Van Halen? What do you like, jump? You like jump, right? <laughs> and then you started to get really deep on me, and I'm like, hold up. This guy <laughs> loves Van Halen, man. Yeah, so I was, have, I've tattoos to prove it even. It's, it's almost embarrassing. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing because you're out in Norway, and I know for a fact that Van Halen have criminally ignored the European Europe, the continent of Europe. Um, yeah, they really have, which which surprises me in many ways. I mean, you hear Dave's perspective on it and, and then the brothers, but it, well, they're Dutch. You would think that they would be a little bit more, you know, go back to their, you know, somehow European roots, but they really have kind of ignored that completely. Or not completely, but they've ignored, really ignored it, I think. And it's, it's I only realized this when I started going to Europe touring and I would drop Van Halen, you know, in, in conversation with people. And I would get puzzled looks. They would they would have heard of the band, they but they wouldn't have heard the band. And to me, in North America, Van Halen are an institution. It was really interesting to see that in all the with, with all the the um, the roll call of of rock bands that are legends, they're not included. Um, and these podcasts have been a way for me to kind of push them up there. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I listened to the the Ian Christie and also the Greg Renoff. They were great, man. Really, really good. It's, it's oh, your thank own. you, man. Thank you. I've gotten the perspective from authors, Ian and Greg, Ian Christie, Greg Renoff, authors of Van Halen books. Mitch Malloy, who was actually in the band for a brief stint, he got his perspective on it. But what I realized is I haven't gotten a true fan's perspective. And what's more unique about your perspective is you are also... I mean, come on, roll call here. Let's let's just run down the list. The drummer of Glucifer, which is a legendary Scandinavian rock band, uh, part of the Scandinavian rock um, uh, scene uh, in the '90s, and you guys have put out some legendary albums yourselves. And uh, of course, latest uh, Bella B's uh, drummer, which I think would pique the interest of a lot of Germans out there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Thank you again. You know, now I'm down on both knees and <laughs> two diamond rings here. Uh, yeah, it's it's that's true. All, all you said was true, and uh, and you know, Van Halen. The only the only place I could kind of put Van Halen in Glucifer because I mean, you're talking about like the European perspective and the American perspective, and 
And and Lucifer was a very European band, although inspired by obviously American rock, Australian rock, British rock, and, and punk and all that. But uh, I actually, I actually at one point, uh, I found a T-shirt or a sleeveless T-shirt uh, with with a, with the international diver uh, symbol, which is a red flag with a white stripe, and that's the cover of Diver Down. Right. The, you yeah. know the, the 80, 1982, Two? I guess yeah. it was yeah. Um. I should know that better, but <laughs> I always think it's 1983 because the next album is 1984, but actually it was late 1982 that they released that. But anyways, I got some white pants and I, and I, I did this really kind of strange mullet I had on and I was dressed up as Diver Dan. So <laughs> that right. was my kind of character on tour with Lucifer for a while. Wow. I dressed up as an album cover without, you know, the only, I guess the only guys, only the guys in the band knew that, but it was a kind of like internal joke, but thought it was funny and but how are the guys it, with you and your van halen love they they kind of they supported it a lot because i got tattoos and shit and i thought that was cool because it was unique it, in a european yeah. sense it is unique and yeah, i didn't is. i didn't do that to be unique i don't i don't do anything i mean of music i love i don't i don't dig things to be unique it's just what goes in and i dig it and i don't care what it's called or where it comes from but but i mean like you know anything you know it's just, it sounds good eddie van halen's teacher told him if it sounds good it is good, and that's you know you got to be honest with yourself and your musical taste. So, and they supported that; they dug that, and and uh, gave me room for that. And that, I thought that was pretty cool. How did you discover Van Halen uh, off in Norway without them touring around your parts? It was it was uh, Dave Solo or Solo EP Crazy from the Heat. I saw I was like I guess I was fourteen or fifteen. And I saw those videos with those chicks in them and the funny stories and the whole, you know, not taking yourself seriously, but still being out there and being a fucking like rock star. But with a twist and sense of humor, nobody else was doing that in that way. And nobody else have really done it in that way since either. That's, agree, that's yeah. what I just I have a you know huge respect and, and, and love, I guess you could call it for Dave Lee Roth, although he is. When he's like goofy and, and far out, he's he's just like I'm. You know, it's kind of like your. Many people say it online. It's like your your uncle like gets drunk on Thanksgiving. He's like, oh man, did he actually say that? It's like, oh. But then again, you know, when he's funny and he's spot on, he is he is the best. And uh, so and that you know comes through in the videos that he and and um, uh, of course the Pablo the P Picasso. Other Picasso brother there. Oh, Pete Angelus. Pete Angelus. Thank you. I know that name. Uh, they directed all those videos, and uh, and they were they were great. And I saw that, and right away it just hit me. And then I had tried to kind of discover Van Halen a little bit earlier, but and I got like at the library. I went and, and borrowed a cassette tape. We had <laughs> we had Women of Sloan first on one side, and Fair Warning on the other. There were so short albums, like yeah. a lot of albums that you could fit like an album on each side. And I tried it, and it was too, it was too hard and too rough, and I, and I didn't wow. dig it. And then I discovered Dave, and then I got into Dave, and then I, as I matured a little bit, a little bit older, I, you know, discovered Led Zeppelin and you know, all that, and I was like, wow. It just really hit me, and I've been a huge fan ever since. So it was through, through Dave's solo stuff that I discovered it. Now, since Dave's solo work was what you first stumbled upon, now do you consider the Van Halen David Lee Roth years you know, better than the eat them and smile years. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, I like, I like a lot of Dave's solo stuff, but there, there always should be like a little bit of a quality check 
with with Dave because uh, I mean he does some great stuff and then there's some stuff out there that's like wow you did that why did you do that but I mean that's also kind of what makes him interesting and cool but of course yeah it's, it's Van Halen the Dave years uh, a, a, a good step above the Dave solo years but still I do dig a lot of Dave's solo stuff as well now were you on were you um did you stick with them when they went with Sammy Hagar? This is this is obviously you knew I was going to ask you this question from a Van Halen's uh, perspective. Two Van Halen fans talking. This is probably one of the first questions you would ask each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean I tried because I just discovered them, and you know, fifty one fifty was out, and I, I had the first couple of albums, but I I didn't. You know, some of that stuff I thought was kind of cool. Um, and I'm being really honest here because I know, like, you know, it's either Dave or, or Sammy, and, and I'm, I, there's no, there's no question. It's just Dave for me. But I, I've listened to the other stuff, and, and I tried to, you know, bring it up recently. I thought like, oh, you wait, one two would be like a cool album, and I, and I listened to it, and I, I have to say, I really think it sucks. <laughs> oh, I mean, really? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like everything, all the fun of Van Halen is just kind of gone. Yeah, I'm. Um, Sammy is a, a technically good singer, but he can't. I don't think he can write lyrics very well. And I, I'm on all these Facebook groups, and, and there's so much, like, Sammy hatred all over the place. So I get kind of sick of just people just hating. Yeah. It's, for me, so boring. It's so unconstructive. Uh, so I get really fed up and tired of, uh, of that, uh, though I do agree to a certain point. But, you know, just to – I can say what I mean, and then I'm, I'm not going to go, you know, trolling and stuff because I think that's just embarrassing. You're just – yeah, I, I, that's, for me, pathetic. But – to be quite honest, what I think about Sammy Hagar is he is well. The, the really the only really good stuff that I think he ever did was mm-hmm. early Montrose and his tequila. <laughs> well, Apart I, from that, he, he is. I mean, I and I like I I, I do eat McDonald's and and I'm ashamed of it, but he is like the Ronald McDonald of rock and roll. I truly believe that because it's it's mediocre at best sometimes. I mean, I do love his early work, like his early solo work, I should say. And, of course, the Montrose stuff just goes without saying. Um, I'm not a fan of the the Hagar years of Van Halen, but um, I don't think they're bad records. F-U-C-K is not bad in certain parts. And for me, O-U-A-1-2 in certain parts are good, too. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm not into the hating, picking one side over the other. I don't think most people pick... Sammy Hagar, anyways. No, I, you know, he's definitely the he, he's like the butt end of the joke, I guess you could say. But uh, uh, I, I do agree to a certain extent that um, you know, there's some stuff on the first uh, Hagar album, and I'm thinking like you know Alex Van Halen's drumming, and of course always Eddie's guitar. But the the sound of those albums, I don't know, they just sound a little bit too cheesy for me. But I mean, like you know, finish what you started, I think is a great riff and a pretty yes. cool song. That's and one of the CK songs. Yeah, is, 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 has some some pretty good cuts. I have to say, as of songs. Yeah, and and Sammy's his singing obviously is way better than Dave's technically, but he doesn't have that performance and attitude. And he and I don't think is I don't think he's really great. You know, I don't think he writes so good lyrics. You know, David Lee Roth, I find is from a guy who a lot of people thought he couldn't sing in the beginning. He went from that to being a, a singer that nobody could even come close to copying. Yeah. And uh, for Sammy Hagar to follow that kind of singer 
It's impossible. It's like following Freddie Mercury. You can't do it. That's true. And even though you're technically much better, which yeah. he is, yeah. as a, I would say, you know, he's got more voice control. You would know more about this than I. But um, but yeah, following up that is impossible. So they had to do something different that I understand. But I just don't agree that, you know, you, you can't follow Dave, obviously. But, you know, I just Dave was technically never a great, great singer, but he was just as entertainer and character and, and, you know, showman beyond beyond anything that's ever been on a stage. I mean, you can come, you can put him up there with the Frank Sinatra's and the and the yeah. fucking you know, Robert Plants, and he he is he and Mick Jagger, Steven Tyler, he's up there as a stage persona without a doubt. Yeah, I but, wish I wish more people in Europe because that's because I feel rock and roll and rock hard rock live in Europe. I wish more people in Europe knew that. I'm trying to do my best there, <laughs> <laughs> spreading the gospel. No, but what I think happened if I, this is what I've heard. I think Dave was had such a heavy coke habit that he I think he just blew his his voice. That was kind of a weak voice to begin with and he didn't take care of it and I think he parted away his voice and his hair. <laughs> well, what, what do you think about what do you think about uh um 2012's uh different kind of truth? I love that album. I, thought, I think it's a great album. Yeah, I thought it, I thought he was on point. I thought he was right there in the pocket. He was right there. What's What's your favorite lyric from that from that album? If like a a whole song or just like a, a sentence, whatever. Oh, I don't know about a sentence. I mean, I don't really for a guy who writes lyrics. I don't really focus in on, unless a, a lyric really hits me over the head. Okay, um, I see. But um, what is it? Um, not Hammerhead, Chinatown, and. Um, Motorhead, not motor. Uh, what's that song they had? Bullethead. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, those two songs are great. I think the opening is um, Bullethead is my favorite. The opening it goes my my karma just ran over your dogma. I mean that's that's if that's not poetry. I don't want to <laughs> be on this planet. <laughs> that, you know that's fucking I, beautiful. You know what I heard about that album? We we heard about this record being made in 2010 by someone really. I'd say a degree or two away from the, from yeah, the camp. Yeah, I, I heard you mention that. Uh, I mentioned the, it on the podcast, yeah. but I did. Yeah. I forgot to mention these were songs that were throwaways from the Ted Templeman sessions. I don't know exactly what albums that they were throwaways from, but what we were told was if Eddie Van Halen couldn't hit the solo in three tries, they got they were tossed. Wow. And those were the songs that were used for different kind of truth. Now that's from someone who is not in the band, but is maybe a degree or two away from the band. It's it's it was a pretty pretty top kind of behind the scenes person who told us this. But who wow. knows? You know, we're neither party of a, was in the studio, uh, so only Eddie and Alex and you know whatever. Wolfie Wolfie would know. <laughs> well, you know who's to credit for for bringing Dave back is actually Wolfgang. Really? Okay. Yeah, he. I. I was following him on MySpace. Like, as soon as he was old enough to be on MySpace. <laughs> I know this sounds like sounds like really perverted. I know. I wasn't waiting for him, but I, I. I don't know how he got there, but he got there, and he was. He was posting like all vintage Van Halen pictures, like only pictures of you know Dave era. And I was thinking like this means this kid Eddie Van Halen's son is doing this something is going on and he's going to convince his father and for what I'm what I've heard that he he was the one who said dad you have to do this and I 
I I have met him, and I didn't get to thank him for that, and I'm kicking myself because I planned to do that. I'll get back to that story later. But, uh, yeah, so I think he is the one that has to take all credit for, for bringing Dave back and getting that to happen. Because I think if anybody, if Eddie would listen to anybody, it would be Wolfgang. On the other hand, I know for a fact that whoever, um, Alex is a, is a business guy. He's the one who runs the band. He's all, he does all the business. And so it could have been Wolfie convincing his uncle. Could have been. I mean, Ed wasn't sober. You know, <laughs> Ed was Ed was messed up. Well, okay, so so this leads me to the second question Van Halen fans talk to each other about, which is Wolf Wolfgang Van Halen. Yeah. How do you feel about him replacing Michael Anthony? Um, obviously, I think everybody would prefer to have. Michael Anthony there, just to have like this is the original, Halen. yeah, yeah. But if that being, that anybody being said, could replace, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If anybody could replace him, it'd be him. And also, the guy's fucking incredibly talented. His bass playing is just so he's it's so solid. I um, this is just incredible because because um, the first time I saw Van Halen, I saw Van Halen with Dave after the reunion. But it was it's a pretty incredible story because a friend of mine working for Universal here in Norway, he was he was actually subbing for a friend of another friend of mine who was in um, maternity leave. And he calls me up like the first Monday in January in 2012. He goes, Danny, um, Van Halen are playing a show in New York. I go, yeah, it's on Thursday. Cafe Wa. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's uncle's uh, uh, old uh, venue where Bob Dylan was played when he was with young Robert Zimmerman and. You know, right. Jimi Hendrix when he was unknown. And he was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm working for Universal now and I might get you on the list. I'm like, don't tease me. Don't be a fucking cock teaser. Don't do that. You know, don't say that if you don't mean that. He's like, well, I'm going to try my best. I'm like, fuck. And how, you know, the first week of, of January, you're, you're fucking, you're broke, right? That's, that's like, right. that's, you're never as broke as, as the first week of January after Christmas and all the holidays and shit. So, so I called up my uncle. Because we were expecting some inheritance money, and I said, I need, "Can I just borrow some money for you, just in case I can go to New York and I'm just gonna go right?" And I was texting with my friend and um, a great guy, huge rock fan. He's actually the guy who runs Metal Hammer in, in Norway now. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, you you probably met him, Espen. Oh, Espen, I know Espen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a great, great guy. And and we were texting, and Espen, I didn't hear. Espen has interviewed me for Metal Hammer. I'm sure he has. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I gave him a. Remember, we did the Danko Jones T-shirt at Carling's. Yeah, the line with the sunglasses. I remember that. Speaking of Van Halen. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he he asked me for a shirt, and of course, I had to get one for him. But this was way back, and I'm getting off topic. Um. Anyways, uh, Wednesday came, and I hadn't really heard from him, and it was like seven o'clock, seven p.m. And I was, and you know, the show was the next day, and I was in Oslo, and this show was going to be in New York. I had my hopes up high, but I thought, oh, no, it's not going to happen. Oh, screw it. I'll just, you know. I'm I'm not going to go to the show. I didn't think I was going to go to the show anyway. So, you know, he calls me like, you're on the list. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. Said, no, you're on the list. So I just like ring up. I just go online and I, I book through British Airways to New York without an email confirmation, just his word of word of mouth or like his his word. Uh, I get to I and that's this was I 7 p.m. I booked the flight for 7 a.m. the next morning. 
So I go there. I, I fly there. I land at Newark. I open my email, and I haven't got an email confirmation. I call this. I'm like, dude, you need to get me. You need somebody needs to fucking email. I need to bring that to the door. I flew to New York to see, you know, and and uh, an hour goes, and I get an email confirmation from from Universal LA. Um. So. And I see his number and stuff, that guy. So I call him up because I got a camera with me. I got a recorder. I think I can't. If I bring that and they don't let me in because I bring it or they take it away from me or something, and I, you, you don't know what's going to happen. So I talked to the guy universally. He says, I would probably leave it at home, which was a mistake because people had court recorders of every kind there. And that was okay. But I wanted to enjoy the show anyway. So right. not stand behind a camera. So I get, I get to the venue. I, I, and this is the first time I ever go to show early because <laughs> I don't do that because I'm in a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it. I'm going to stand in line. And I, people around me are, you know, obviously Van Halen fans and, you know, you know, like the really, really, really hardcore ones that run like some of the fan sites and the forums and all this. And one guy's like, yeah, man, I, I took the subway to get her. <laughs> and, and the other guy's just relax. I, I came in from Philly, man. I goes, I said, the guys, you know. Shut up, you guys. I came in from Norway. And they go, what? <laughs> so they just started calling me Norway. Hey, what does Norway think? I don't know. Ask Norway. So I was, like, representing my country. Right. Anyways, right. Uh, then, the, the, you know, they open the doors. And I walk in. This really cute girl says, I'm going to take your jacket, put it here. And she takes me by the hand. And she walks me over to the front of the stage. And I'm talking right in front of the stage. Like, Alex Van Halen's bass drum was like, two two and a half steps away from me and if i could i, I understood that if, if daylight's going to be standing right here which is like this tiny little like catwalk podium at the cafe wall on the stage if i stand up i'll i'll my nose will touch him and i'm thinking and i'm sitting there thinking they're not coming on this is just a gimmick they're not going to be playing the show this is you know but i i you know i would go anywhere to see them and and i hadn't seen them before and sure enough they came on stage and I was like, holy fucking shit. So I was at that show, front row. I've seen Super. footage of that uh, that show. I, I should I should watch it again. Are you yeah, did yeah. you see yourself in any of those? I've, tr- I've been trying to look for myself because I'm I'm right next I'm actually standing like in front of Dave and the, the camera crew who did who who um edited and recorded all their videos for that album, they were right behind me. I talked to them. I think the one girl's name was Dana. And I was speaking with them. We were looking out for each other's jackets and stuff. Where I had mine there, but she had her jacket there, and she asked me if I could look after it. And and you know, so so I'm I'm during running with the devil. He like leans over and looks me straight in the eye, and in the eyes, and goes like running with the devil. And I'm like a you know I'm like a 14 year old Justin Bieber fan. You know, I almost wet myself. It was pathetic, <laughs> but it was fun for me. So amazing. <laughs> but before the show. Um, I looked over and saw this really old guy sitting there, and I just, I just openly, asked, I just asked a question, like not to like a certain person, it was like openly out in there. Is, is anybody know if that's Manny Roth? And somebody goes, "Yeah, that's Manny." And I just walk up and go straight over, "Hey, Mr. Roth, I'm Danny Young. Nice to meet you." And oh, say hello to my family. He's super friendly, and I don't know. You probably know a little bit about Manny Roth, right? No, I, I is that Dave's uncle? Yeah, the guy who ran, he used to run. The, the Cafe Y and the, right. the opened in the late 50s and was running it through the 60s. You should see the I mean, it's mentioned Roth in show. the books. I mean, that's all you I know. You should see the Roth Show episode called Cafe Y and Eat Him and Smile Band where Dave talks about this. It's hilarious. It's a, it's one of the it's one of the best video podcasts he did for that whole those whole seasons. Well, I'm, I'm in and out on the Roth Show just because he never uploaded regularly 
and then he went away for a long time. And some of the older ones, he's just rambling about certain topics. Would you say that was your first brush with Van Halen? That was that was my first Van Halen show. I'd seen Dave several times and uh, in, in several, mostly in Oslo. But I, I, I saw him in Seattle at the Bumbershoot uh, Festival the same year that Ween played there. It was actually my 30th birthday, birthday for the Ween show. And I think Taylor Roth played the day before or after that. And then I saw him on, in Scotland. Was it in Glasgow? When we were on tour with, I think, with Monster Magnet. Uh, so I've seen him, you know, him several times. I'd never, ever seen Van Halen perform. I hadn't seen Eddie or Alex perform live before. Were you almost crying? I, <laughs> Danny's crying. Uh, I was, I was just, it, I was kind of like, almost like my, my skin was almost like numb. I was, it was, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. I know this sounds really freaky, but, but it's, it's like you're there, but you're not there. You're observing, but you're kind of like, you know, you're not really... You know, I would pinch my arm, but I didn't have time for it. Because <laughs> when I when I saw Kiss for the first time and they hit into Deuce, I started to cry. Well, you've you've told me that you've also you've done that before when you did the Rolling Stones sound check. Oh were, yes, were, yes, I did that your, as well. Your head was just sinking down. You said you said you're sitting on a chair, but you had the yes. I we were on our. I was sitting on our cabinets, my guitar cabinets, and the okay. rest of the band and the crew were told to move to the back. And I guess they forgot about me or else they would have told me to move to the back as well. I don't know why nobody went up to me, but I was, oh, I would say I was literally three meters from, from Mick Jagger. Jeez. And uh, yeah, they were doing, um, oh, it's off Black and Blue. But anyways, they were doing it. Ah, the, the song escapes me. It's off Black and Blue, but I, I, we had just had the worst travel day, overnight travel to make it on time to the gig. And uh, we were exhausted, no sleep. And uh, it was a bit of exhaustion and just a bit of just the, the enormity of the moment hit me. And, yeah, that was just kind of a little too much to not give in to tears. But nobody <laughs> saw me. Nobody in the band saw me. Nobody in the venue saw me. If Keith Richards were to have looked me in the eye, he would have seen it. But I'm sure they're used to that kind of reaction. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Well, I know the reason they didn't tell you to move, like your crew and band and stuff. Because you're Danko Jones, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're opening for the Stones, you're just like the opening band. Yeah, yeah. You know? Which is amazing. I mean, I, that's that's incredible to have that on your on your CV. I just you know, but we're off topic. Let's get back to Van Halen. Van Halen. <laughs> okay. Well, so I was gonna say that um, you know, you with David Lee Roth giving you a shout out on the show. Um, when you recently sent me these photos of you meeting yeah, the band, yeah. and that was kind of mind blowing. So, tell me about that, and and tell me about how how they were. Like, how was it? Well, first off, I'm, the Café Wawa was my first show. My second and third show was my pregnant girlfriend kidnapped me and took me to New York. It was just around this time because it, it was like every fourth year, there's like, you know, February is all messed up and then March. And then they say that every fourth year, a woman is allowed to, to uh, propose to the man, right? Oh, is that this? the tradition? No, I've never heard. No, of yeah, that. I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a girl's <laughs> thing. But anyways, she kidnapped me, and there was two sold out Madison Square Garden shows. I was starting. To, I I was starting to think like, well, we're gonna go see Van Halen. I didn't know it was two shows, and she, and she got me tickets for two shows. We went together. So that was the second and third time I saw Van Halen, which was amazing to see them. You know, in Madison Square Garden, and never been there before even. Right. And then, 
would be the fourth and fifth time I saw Van Halen was this this fall. I was September October, and I went to Phoenix. I have to backtrack a little bit, backtrack a little bit because I did meet John Douglas, and I know it was Greg Renoff was talking about John Douglas. He's Alex Van Halen's drum tech, also for CZ Top and Aerosmith. Right now, Rival Sons were opening for, you know, Rival Sons, right? Yes. I love the Rival Sons, and they're good friends of mine. Um, they were opening for Aerosmith, and I was there in Stockholm. And Miley said, well, come on to the soundcheck, you know. And I'm, I, you know, I thought I'd just help out a little bit with the drums and be on the soundcheck because he told me that, that John Douglas was there, JD. And I wanted to meet him because I knew who he was because I'm a, a big nerd, you know, a Van Halen geek. So I was kind of starstruck talking to him and getting to know him a little bit when I heard this voice on stage. And this was right before... Um, Rival Sons soundtrack. I turn around and Steven Tyler is on stage. I couldn't fucking believe it. Steven Tyler's on stage for Rival Sons soundtrack. What is he doing? And he's walking around just talking like blah, 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 all the time. And then I saw Miley, the drummer, start talking to Steven Tyler. So I'm going to go fucking meet Steven Tyler. You're crazy. He's my, you know, right after David Lee Roth, he's, he's right there, <laughs> you know, for me. Right. So I walk over and then, and we talk just a little bit. I introduce myself and then, and then I said, because I know he's a drummer, right? He used to be a drummer. So I said, Stephen, don't want you to play Miley's drums. And he goes, sure. So he sits down and he starts just like slamming on Miley's drums. And I'm standing right in front. I go, Whoa, what the fuck? I'm fucking witnessing this. I filmed it on my, on my cell phone. I have a recording wow. of it. Wow. That was just amazing. Anyways, so I got to know John Douglas a little bit and talking to him. And I, I got him some clothes from Carling's that I went and bought myself. Because Carling's is a clothing company that I work for. Right. And sent it to him, and I, that's how I kind of st stayed in touch with him. So I wanted to go see Van Halen this autumn, and he was going to do some, because he does drum, um, he like repairs and he fixes and he modifies drum stuff, like not only like drums, but hardware and everything. So I brought something uh, that I wanted him to fix for me. So I got to go give that to him at the before the show in Phoenix. I got to see the Alex Van Halen's kit. Well, my father was a photographer. He's passed away. And he's done two amazing photo books. And I brought that for him and for Alex and Alex's wife, Stina, who happens to be sitting at the, in the council or board of some big museum in L.A. And the show was amazing. I was there with my cousin. And I was going to go to the Hollywood Bowl show as well. I got tickets for that like, a, you know, five days later. And I texted with John the day after. And I said, thank you for a great show. And, you know, this was amazing. He goes, yeah. Alex and Cena really loved your generous gift. They want to meet you at the Hollywood Bowl show. And I, my hair is standing up, and I get goosebumps. I was just saying this. Wow. And I thought he was joking with me. And my cousin thought I was going to have a heart attack. She was like, what's going on? What the fuck is going on? I was like, oh, this is probably like hyperventilating or something like that. Real, <laughs> but, uh, so anyways, and that actually happened. I went there. I was, I was standing on the stage of the Hollywood Bowl. As Alex and Eddie came on stage, had not spoken that day, I don't think, but they met each other on stage. They had never been on that stage before either. <laughs> and they go, let's look at each other, and they say simultaneously, it looks so small, because it kind of does. You know, amph amphitheaters kind of like, because you have like, there's like people like stacked up, you know, right. instead of like far in the back. And right. that's what they're used to. It looks so small. They both said that. I was like, fuck, I'm standing on stage with Alex and Eddie. And Wolfgang was there, <laughs> and all their texts, and Valerie Bertinelli was there, everybody, and you know. So I, I got to meet 
Eddie briefly took a picture and I spoke a little bit with Alex and I spoke mostly with his wife because she was really into my father's photography. So wow. I went backstage to his backstage room and stood there talking with him, got some pictures with him. And it was just incredible. And John Douglas, you know, I really have to thank him for, for hooking me up with that because he was even surprised. He says, Alex and Stina never usually do something like this. So I was, that was really, you know, I think it was my dad up there somewhere going, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, that's an interesting way to meet the Van Halen crew. Yeah, because they're really, I mean, you know, you hear a lot about Eddie, because Eddie's always kind of like in the press somehow, and he, he's always selling some kind of guitar stash, and he's, you know, he's all that business thing. Alex is one of the most, you know, secretive guys in rock and roll. We don't know much about him. He, he doesn't, he doesn't hardly do interviews. He do, he's like really like, you know, holds back, so... Obviously, I'm a huge fan of his drumming, you know, it's meant uh-huh. a lot to me. So, yeah. so yeah, just meeting him was just mind-blowing. Wow. And That's... I haven't really talked to anybody. I mean, I've talked to friends and stuff, but I haven't, you know, I haven't posted any of this on Facebook or anything because I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, just kind of hold back on it. But now that I'm talking to you, of course, i got to got to tell you about this <laughs> well if there's any time to do it it's it's on a one of my van halen themed podcasts there you it's, go there, there you, you go. go well that's i mean that's an amazing story um now you said that when you met wolfgang you uh you, yeah. you met him yeah I, I i shook his hand and talked to him and i and he was really like he seemed like really friendly really friendly eyes and really relaxed and laid back and i said the only thing i said i i wish i'd remembered just to ask yeah. him or you know thank him for bringing dave back um but i just said i'm really looking forward to hearing your album which i mean i mean i don't know what it's going to sound like and i don't care very much for these guys he's hanging out with his old creed people and that stuff that's not isn't my thing that, isn't that tremonti that's his album right yeah, and he was a guy from Creed, wasn't he? I think yeah. so. Alter yeah. Bridge Creed, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really not my thing. Now, I was, I was kind of happy when Dave, though, did an appearance with the Foo Fighters. Now, that that's more my thing, you know what I mean? Right. I'm more old school. Now, did uh, Wolfgang... Wolfgang's working on his solo album? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And I, we don't know when it's... He said it's coming out next year, he said, in, in October, but yeah. is Are those the posts? He's posted a couple of times on Instagram... Of him working at 5150 on some that's, sort of recording. I think that's it, yeah. Yeah. And what he's playing on the album, I mean, you know, he's like super musically talented, so he could be playing every instrument. I don't know if he sings like lead vocals and stuff, that I don't know, but but he's really talented. And I think, you know, I think he brings something to Van Halen. Also, if you hear like a different kind of truth, there's so much more bass and a good sounding bass on that album than it used to be with, with Michael. I mean, they would really always like, he would be down in the mix pretty often, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. Yeah, I think so too. Because I mean, you know, Michael Anthony is a great. He's a, he's a character. He's you know, everybody talks about his voice and everything. He's got a you know, he was he was a big big part of classic Van Halen for sure. Yeah, everybody talks about his voice to the point where it's like, all right, listen, like, yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, sound, it's, it sounds kind of strange on bootlegs. <laughs> it's it's not. I mean, it's it was a great unique voice. Yeah, but I mean. He's not it's, Steven Tyler. Are we really gonna Are we really gonna go on and on about backup vocals here? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you know. But th- then I saw online, or or I had it on a bootleg myself. Of no, it was my own bootleg, and it was Michael Anthony's bass solo from I think the uh, the 1984 tour, and it was phenomenal. His really? bass solo was phenomenal. 
Um, wow. he How did, can you say that? Well, that's why I was like, well, wait a minute. Let's reevaluate Michael Anthony. Like, let's stop talking about this guy's backup vocals for just one minute here. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, he did he did come to the table with some chops, despite what I think Eddie Van Halen has tried to take away from him. And I understand where Eddie's coming from with with him, you know, replacing Michael with Wolfgang because it's a father who wants to play with his son. Yeah, and yeah. he and that's the tradition he comes from. He played with his father. Exactly. Good and it's, point. it's not going to happen unless Eddie takes a stand and just goes, fuck everyone. Yeah. This is what's happening. And that's what he did. And if you look at it from that perspective, uh, I understand. Yeah. But uh, Danny, let's let's go. Let's go to you. What's up with you lately? Uh, I know that you're you're with, uh, I'd say. Arguably one of the coolest people in rock and roll. You play drums for him, Bella B. Yeah. Uh, and he, Bella's the drummer himself. So how is it? You're kind of like the Taylor Hawkins of... <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Of, uh, I wish. <laughs> the Deatse world. What? How is it working with Bella and, and, and be, Bella being another drummer? How is it? Well, you know, we haven't, we haven't, I haven't played with Bella for, uh, I think the last tour was like 2010 or 11. Oh, really? So, okay, okay. Yeah, because he's been doing, he, he, that was like his first two solo albums, which I didn't play on the albums, but I played on the tours supporting the albums. Right. Um, and uh, after that, he has been doing, uh, his, uh, he does like, like, like movie, TV stuff. And, um, cause he's like, he's like a real character in Germany. He's like, you know, he's like one of those, you know, I, I, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of I can't compare him with David Bowie as as you know because David Bowie is probably one of the most talented people uh, you know in, in the history <laughs> together yeah. with Beethoven and stuff but but Berta is that kind of character that does like you know TV underground stuff movies and he does you know he does a lot of different things and, and a lot of cool stuff wasn't he in uh, Inglorious Bastards too. Yeah, he played one of the the ushers, the movie ushers, right? Yeah, that's right. That's people right. People don't a lot of people don't know that, but yeah, that's yeah that's something that I thought Quentin Tarantino was. He's good at picking soundtracks, and he's good with picking his cast. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, Bela told me about that um, that experience. That was pretty cool. But Bela is, is a he's, he's now he's now we don't haven't played together for a while, but he's a good friend. He comes to Norway during the summer vacation. We meet up and hang out with our kids and. He's he's just a, a really really great guy. I love the guy a lot. So, and it was really fun playing with him back in two thousand. I think it was two thousand six or seven when the first tour we did. Did he hook up? Uh, did you hook up with him because he was a big Glucifer fan or you're a big Diarte fan? Where, where's that coming from? It was he was a big fan of Glucifer, uh, and um, and we, we uh, Glucifer toured with Diarte the, uh, the last in uh, two thousand four. The last tour we did was two thousand five, but that was our farewell tour. Right. But so during that 2004, we did three shows and we really bonded and it was really, really fun. We had great times together. And um, and since then, we've, you know, he he asked me at the last Glucifer show in Hamburg, he said, I, I, you know, I might have a job for you. Would you want to come play with me? I go, yeah. I mean, I, I just I, I told him, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you 99 percent now. Yes. The only I just want to hear the music before I say yes, because if uh, if I feel I can't do this or can't connect with it, then it would be wrong of me to do it. But. I really wanted to come and play with her. And I heard the songs. I thought it was great stuff. And so, yeah, we, we toured. And it was really, really fun. It was it was cool after Glucifer. I mean, because we were, like, usually on a budget. You would probably, 
you've been through that as well. Mm-hmm. So you know it's like touring on a budget. And then, you know, going out with Berta, which it was, you know, a different budget. <laughs> yeah, a lot like, of people don't know over over here, but Bella's like, he's a he's a huge star. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a big deal. And especially big the deal. Ads, especially the Eds are like huge, huge like stadium rock in, in, in Germany. But um yeah, so we were had like nice buses and nice hotels. It was really comfortable, you know, and I had a drum roadie and shit and you know and like everything was like really more, you know, shoulders down, easy and fun, relaxed, and, you know. Not that it wasn't fun with Glucifer, but it was it was crazy, but it was you know, it was more punk rock. Right. Even even at the you know, the last couple of tours we did. And so what what is what have you been doing musically now these days? Well, since Lucifer, we had a band, uh, Raldo from Lucifer, and then Thomas from the space rock band, We, and uh, and they used to be oh, a bass. Oh, I remember band. We. Yeah, and we uh, together we had a band called We have a band called Smoke Mock. We've just been a little bit uh, off the last year, but that's right, back. that's right. So yeah, that's been kind of fun. It's been like you know, pub boogie rock kind of. Fun, easy, some covers or not, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I wouldn't say that I never played for the love of music. I always did, but this is, you know, Goosefer and we tried to, you know, after all, we tried to make a living out of it and we, we did as well. But I mean, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, playing for dinner. We're just playing for fun. Yeah. We toured with, uh, Imperial State Electric. Nick is, yeah. That's and, uh, we also did another tour without them. <laughs> But yeah, Van Halen. We keep going off topic because we have so many great things to talk about, even though we're talking about Van Halen. Well, you know, I brought you on this podcast to talk about Van Halen, but wherever the conversation leads, that's where we go. Um, great. But Danny, it's been great. Yeah. I mean... Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate that. I, I really, you know, we've had some great talks about Van Halen over, over the years, and you are someone who I, I, I would go to if, if I, I needed to talk about Van Halen, and I need to talk about Van Halen, so I had to come to you. <laughs> I uh, like your Van Halen shrink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody get me a doctor. Exactly. Dr. Dan. All right, Danny. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. It was perfect. Talk soon, I hope. Absolutely. Peace. Okay, see you, man. Have a good night. You too, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.